Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. I'm having so much more fun now. I have let them show me how to live their way. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 223. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Blob, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail. Made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last you remember them from your childhood half for the friendly ghost richie rich hot stuff baby hooey sad sack and little audrey you read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. The revised second edition of my Monkey's Book with Michael A. Ventrella, called Long Title, stars of Walt Disney Productions, and Pac-Man, the first animated TV show based upon a video game, are my latest books out now. Unconditionally Mad and not just Happy Together, the Turtles book, are in production. I'm also working on my TV cartoons at Time Forgot book, plus articles on cancelled Harvey titles, and making contributions to Freaky Magazine. On today's show, we have a returning guest who is versed in many subjects, including Disney, children's records, and Willy Wonka. He hasn't been on the show since the early audio-only days. Here he is, Greg Airbar. 
Okay. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and it's another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast, and we have a returning author slash historian, Greg Airbar, but this is now on video, so now we can see what he looks like. Hey, <laughs> how hey. are you today, sir? <laughs> Good. You, you could do the, the Scooby-Doo guest star, like, it's the author historian, Greg Airbar. <laughs> and every time you're searching for me, Greg Airbar. Where are you, Greg Airbar? You know, like Jerry Reed, Jerry Reed. <laughs> so, uh, as we were discussing before we started, um, we're going to talk a little bit about Willy Wonka, but you know so many things, we probably won't even stay on the subject. So it's like, um, which is very fine. You know, a lot of times, you know, I just want a, a chat uh, with different people that I don't get to talk to for, you know, a while. Um, like we have these uh, meetings every week or so uh with nick santa maria you know but it's like we're always kind of talking with him and we never kind of talk with each other much so so i appreciate you, you coming on the show what? he has some kind of a setup now i guess you can do a zoom where you're on like this this match game like thing where your head is above uh like each of the things that i'm saying what is it going to be hollywood squares next week i those who zoom check out the crazy ways you can do zooms now because mm. they can put you on this like game show set i guess interesting this is zoom but i haven't experimented recently so <laughs> anyway so um let's talk a little bit about willy wonka so how did you become a wonka fan oh you know what it goes all the way back to the book i i uh, i i don't want to date myself but i became a fan of the book the moment i read I, i'd say about two chapters i think when i got to the part where they said no matter how fast his father could screw the caps on the toothpaste tubes, he just couldn't make enough money. And I thought, boy, this guy knows how to turn a phrase. Uh, actually, Roald Dahl's first book I read was The Magic Finger, which creeped me out like crazy. Uh, <laughs> I thought, this guy, what? why is this book in a library? This is like the Twilight Zone. This guy, and it turns out he wrote uh, several of the most famous Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes, which is no surprise. Mm -hmm. Not the nicest guy in the world. We won't go into that, but not not a very nice man. But his 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 attitude and his strange background is all in his books. And I think it said something to kids that every author nowadays has copied. You know, I mean, I, all the you can just tell. That yeah. oh wow this is so real doll it's it's he's like the 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 twentieth century Lewis Carroll because mm -hmm. there there's something insane about his books Magic Finger I don't know if anybody's read it but it's a it's a picture book with with text it's not a novel and it's like Carrie it's about a a school aged <laughs> girl who when when she gets mad points her magic finger and something like weird happens to them and it i don't know if it's supposed to be funny or not but it's but the illustrations i think it's william Pinet dubois are creepy too and her teacher you know yells at her in class so she points her magic finger um and there the 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 image of her teacher is scary and and it says hold this page up to bright light so if you hold the page just the page up you can see the other side of the page and she turns her into a cat. Um, but it's like lights out. There was an episode called Cat Wife that, with Boris Karloff that's very creepy. That's what it's like. 
and and then he turns a, a family. I guess it was anti-hunting because I guess his father used to take him hunting or something. Mm-hmm. But this family is going are going hunting, and then he she turns them into birds or makes them bird size or something. So they learn to be compassionate about birds. Um, so that's the second half of the book. Anyway, I looked for Roald Dahl uh, other books, and around the same time, uh, when he was he was married to Patricia Neal, the Oscar winning actress, and she was doing Maxim commercials. My husband loves my coffee, and I use Maxim. You know, <laughs> I don't I, even remember that. I mean, oh, you don't remember her doing the uh, Maxim? The, the earliest thing I remember her on is probably the Homecoming. You know, the Waltons. Yeah, it prequel. was a little for that. It was a little yeah. after. Okay, but when I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it was like you how you know how you know when you hear a piece of music, see a film, or read a book, and you go, "Wow, this is real. This is something that's just beyond anything else. This is this is an instant. Cl- I hate the phrase instant classic, but that's what it is. And it uh, and it's like the abominable Doctor Fibes for kids. You know, it these these horrible things. And when the and and I I was I I actually read it to my fourth grade class, uh, you know, in in parts, uh, in Cub Scouts. I told the story in Cub Scouts because I have the book with me, and we met on in the evenings. And I missed the ghost of Mrs. Muir. That was the downside of Cub Scouts. It's like I missed it, you know, and it's still not on DVD. Gosh, I I wonder who owns Twentieth Century Fox. Who could put it on DVD? wonderful family show Risney uh, <laughs> mm, yeah uh, and Nanny and the Professor other other wonderful family show that could go on DVD um uh I so we're sidetracking as as yes. you predict um well let me ask this okay so that first book I never heard of before the magic finger but I know Willy Wonka uh, yeah Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the name yeah. of the book Charlie was the first Roald Dahl book that I read, and I think I read it after seeing the film because uh, I saw the film when it first came out. I was four, and I I could read then, so I, they probably got me the book shortly thereafter because that was the very first one. But I never read any Roald Dahl books in any particular order. So I mean, in short order, I read James and the Giant Peach, and they had the, the Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, and um, somewhere along the line, Matilda came out, and the witches. You know, and I just read these things when they came out. But, you know, I never went back and said, oh, I missed this one or whatever. <laughs> I just yeah. And then, you know, I see certain film adaptations and they're kind of like, eh, except Willy Wonka was always like, you know, mm-hmm. even though I know it wasn't exactly like the book. You, you, you mentioned the father who's absent in the movie and the toothpaste tube factory, which I always found a, a very odd job for a grown man to have. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody can't work in a factory. It just the, the the idea of that's all you do all day. You know, it's like just the just twisting the tube. <laughs> well, it's 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 very British. Very it's 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 completely absurd. That's the Monty Python aspect of his. I, I think I didn't get that when I first read it. You know, it's so I'm like, you know, does somebody actually do that? <laughs> you know, I was taking it too literal. You know. Doesn't mind that uh, uh, boys are getting sucked into chocolate pipes and, you know, <laughs> all sorts of other weird things. And, you know, there's a room with little squirrels, and, you know, unlike in the movie, again, you know, uh, making uh, 
holiday treats or whatever, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, but that toothpaste cap thing, that was weird, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's funny how that leapt out at you and I. At the <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now but I, I, I would was excited when the movie was going to be announced and the way probably most of us found out was because of the captain crunch commercials that i were... would think so I, I i don't know the chain of events i know i saw it when it first came out because it came out around this time in 1971 i think the end of june if if memory serves and uh but I think I saw it in July of 71. It wasn't like we were never a family. We got to go the first day, you know, like everybody does nowadays. Um, and contrary to everything I ever read, and you can tell me your experience, the theater was packed. There was tons of people. And it wasn't just kids. It was whole families and everybody. Uh, granted, I grew up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, which is like, movie capital of the world they'll go see anything <laughs> you know movies that flop nationwide will be a hit in san jose california <laughs> you know so what was your experience of seeing it then i i remember when it came out uh there was the captain crunch commercials where the prime thing where you could order the chocolate making kit was basically taking tootsie rolls and squeezing them into molds and pretending you were making Wonka bars. But that's really what it kind of was in a way. Um, oh, no, actually, no. Was it? Was it? Or were you, mel were you actually melting? They, they, yeah, you were actually melting chocolate. I, I eventually did was, get a kit. I didn't get one way back in the day. But I got one cheap finally about in the 90s. Somebody sold it to me. Like, maybe it was even later than that. For like 20 bucks. And I go, wow. This guy doesn't know what he has because usually I see him for hundreds, you know. These, yeah. And they had everything. It had the little molds and everything. And the yeah, odd part, it has like Quisp and Captain Crunch in there, you know, which, hmm, they weren't in the movie, uh, you know, anyway. Well, I think if you look at the if the opening titles, and m many of us know the titles by heart even, oh, yeah. the, the Quaker Oats Company uh, co underwrote it. And okay. so they, yeah. they paid for <laughs> out of it so there was a whole um as they say now synergy deal and i remember the candy bars that that they put out and they were different than the sun aid uh sweet tarts kind of candies that are still around and then for a brief time there were wonka bars i think nestle made with uh, graham cracker in them that were really good and they're not more but the quaker stuff they had oompas which were kind of like um Reese's pieces yeah and they had uh, Scrum Delicious. Yeah. No, Scrum Deliumptious was a bar, but it wasn't huge like in the movie. Yeah. It was a smaller bar. Um, but they did do it. They just, you know, if you weren't, the fact is in the in the late, in the 60s and 70s, if the movie didn't have Disney on it, it, it people saw the Disney brand as we got to see it. We know it's okay for the kids. It's a known quantity. Um, I think with some parents, even then, because uh, Ron, I read about Ron Miller getting letters, you know, Treasure Island was, I know I'm sidetracking, but Treasure Island was um, was cut for the violence because they got letters. So Disney was getting complaints even then about the movies being too scary. It's one of the reasons Mickey Mouse became so bland is because right. he suddenly couldn't do anything. And quite frankly, so did Bugs Bunny, because I, I still can't. 
deal with that episode, that, that cartoon where he says, gee, Daffy, what gives? It's like, Bugs wouldn't say that. And yet it's Mel Blanc, you know. Anyway, back to Willy Wonka. Um, when it came out, uh, there were these interstitials after like the network movie, these 16 millimeter little documentaries about a film that was being made. And they, they were made by this Robin's Nest company. And a lot, there was one about Oliver. Uh, I think there was one about Scrooge. And there were a couple of them about Willy Wonka. Cause I remember the, the, the seeing Roald Dahl with his long, his bald, but long hair in the back, you know, right. and she, yeah. Kind of looks and and i think the it was called one man's pure imagination was the name of the short film but instead of cutting the films or or lengthening them with commercials they put these interstitials in right and i remember this that was, and they were cool so so that was another way and there were spots for it when it opened um the general consensus is it's creepy and weird and i knew that but my parents didn't and the general public didn't, and they didn't quite know what to make of it. I compare it to the way Alice in Wonderland was received 20 years earlier, and that was a Disney film. People knew Alice in Wonderland, um, but it hadn't really been made into a feature since the 1933 one, right. which was also odd. Which I found and, very creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's creepy. still do. I, it is very strange. Um, it's kind of wonderful, but it is odd. Uh, I mean, it's like, and but the Walt Disney Alice is a really faithful adaptation of both books. Um, and actually, like Willy Wonka, is a beloved, esteemed classic that people don't realize was not successful originally. Right. But it's a difficult book to make into a film, and and the the Tim Burton version changed the book. Any any successful version changes the book by putting in a subplot or a story thread. Book doesn't have it. It's a dream. Willy Wonka is a series of events. And it's back, It's like two movies. You know, the first half is all about Charlie, and which is wonderful because it gets you to really root for Charlie. And, and Peter Ostrom is so good in it. Um, you know, and how, how lucky they were to get a, a, a child actor who could do the you know, the Dorothy kind of thing that you really, that, that you really root for um, and, and not be whiny or acty, you know, he's just so good. And the second half of the movie is the tour of the factory and this sort of wildly satiric, I mean, the first half satiric too, but the second half is, is weird. You know, it's yeah. like Randy and Andy, a musical adventure. First half, lots of singing, lots of cute dollies, Second half, Yellow Submarine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny and, that you say Yellow Submarine because as a kid, I, I, I think Yellow Submarine first appeared on TV in 71. It might have been a little bit later. Is that right? And I so I, I, was, I think you're right. I think it was 71, 72. Yeah, I think. So around, so I saw Willy Wonka in the theater. I saw uh, Yellow Submarine on TV the first time around the same year, year and a half point. And I did find a, a real similarity of just being very strange films, but I love both of them. So, you know. <laughs> well, and also Roald Dahl wrote or co-wrote the screenplay to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And oh, that's yeah. like so that one too, not in the theater because I was a little bit young, but 
that probably aired on TV pretty early in it, the 70s too, you know, so. It, it did. And it, it was similar to Willy Wonka in that it was two two movies also. First half, yeah. <laughs> second half was, was much more broad, much more cartoony with the crazy spies and the Bulgaria whole thing. It was, it was like two movies. Dr. The big, that was the thing. Dr. Doolittle was like that too. First yeah. half was like the second. I get them all kind of mixed up a little bit in my mind. Yeah. Because well, that was the era. kind of similar kind of psychedelia going on. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was the era they wanted. They were all trying to do another Mary Poppins or Sound of Music. Um, yeah. I don't know if by 1971 they thought they had that kind of audience anymore. But I remember going to any kids movie, especially a Disney movie, whether it was a comedy or it was true life, best of the true life adventures or whatever it was, especially if it was an animated feature. The yeah. lines would be around the theater, into the parking lot. The lines were long. It was always a huge event because there weren't, there wasn't the proliferation like there is. There was no 24-hour cartoons and 24-hour kid things and 24-hour tween comedies and 24-hour this. And now, un, you know, unlimited streaming and DVDs and DVDs and, and tapes. There was just, to me, there was records. You know, that's I had unlimited use of something that I liked, but there was no you couldn't watch even your favorite shows. You you waited till like Greg right. Gilligan episode was on. You liked, you know, or that bewitched with where they were, you know, they lost their powers and made the frozen bananas. You know, it's like, oh, I know this one. Or you, you know? buy a comic book or something, because, you know, at least that was kind of like that was your the show. Although there was never a Willy Wonka comic. <laughs> anyway, there was not. And there was very, very little merchandise. And that's because of Dr. Doolittle and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, I think, because we owe Dr. Doolittle, especially uh, the, uh, George Lucas definitely does and Disney does, because without Dr. Doolittle, the, the merchandise rights were signed away to Lucas because they overdid it with dr doolittle and the merchandise didn't sell well and so they just said oh who needs who cares is this little space movie sure and the 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 under the overwhelming margin of profit on the lucasfilm products is the stuff you know so there you go willy wonka didn't have really much of anything by that time they were skittish mm -hmm. uh, i think um, so the movie was not, it was received with mixed reviews. I remember Life Magazine had kind of a picture page, um, but people didn't know what to make of it. And the local critic where I lived uh, was not thrilled with it. So my my I remember my parents' reactions, what is it with this movie? What kind of movie is this? It sounds so. Now, where and were you? Where, where are we? Where I, I was living in, uh, in South Florida, in the okay. Miami Florida area. And, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't well. I remember when it came. That's when it came out. So I remember seeing the soundtrack album in the store, but I didn't see the film until it played at the dollar matinee. That's the surprises people is it was not a hit, and it was not beloved. And until it was on TV, and I'm going to say 1975 was when it premiered on NBC. It was a lost, obscure film that if you were lucky would hit the dollar matinee. Yep. And when I first saw it, I'd heard the album 
and I bought the album, you know, and it was discontinued. Right. Uh, and the album is weird. Again, side one's nothing like side two. Right. And <laughs> the boat ride, when you haven't seen the boat ride, the boat ride is weird enough in the movie when you just listen to it in stereo. Like, <laughs> my sister was very young and uh, she things could scare her in movies and TV shows. So when it played at the matinee, I didn't bring her. Uh, but I remember loving the movie, calling my parents, saying, if you want to bring her for the three o'clock show, it's wonderful. Well, it was too late for that. But I, I loved it. And and I thought, in it, like you, I think in some ways the movie improved on the book because it it took the, the cruel edge off of yeah. a lot of it. especially the stuff Roald Dahl hated, which was the ending where yeah. he said, you know, he tell he said, "I'm giving you the factory," but it, but the warmth, Gene Wilder's performance. Who at first I thought Gene Wilder really, you know, but he was so good, and the the overall film, I you know, it was it was just great. And when it was on NBC, I remembered my parents being sort of ambivalent about it, but after they saw it, they said, "I don't know, no, this is wonderful. This is great." It became one of my dad's favorite movies favorite movies you know and uh and i think that's it's just one of those things and if you were to tell me in 1972 73 that when we lost gene wilder the image of willy wonka would be on the cover of all the magazines i would never have imagined because this was the era of you know young frankenstein and the women in red and he was making these more sophisticated movies. And Willy Wonka was not something he even brought up right. in conversation. Merv never, ooh, Willy Wonka, you know. <laughs> you know, it was never, it was, and you'd wait. You'd well, wait. I didn't it, expect him to. When, when Gene Wilder was doing all those Mel Brooks films and all those partnerships with Richard Pryor, I figured, you know, he just did a one-off kids film, big deal. Yeah. Uh, different, different actors do that. But, you know, the, the odd part for me was just how, it, bit, I mean, I kind of know the reason now, which you can kind of go into, but it kind of just basically disappeared for about a decade, you know, just gone. You know, it was on TV a couple times and then nothing, you know. And then I, I what I know is that, you know, Paramount ceased distributing it. It went over to Warner Brothers, something to do with the Wolper company and. Quaker quit doing the candy and that went to Nestle and then other people. And so all that transition basically put it on the shelf and nobody cared about it. And um, the first time I heard about it again was about uh, 1981, a theater got a copy of it and was going to show it as a kid's matinee. And I was like 15 at that point, maybe it was like 82, 83, um, but early 80s. And I asked my mom, can we go down and see it? Because it wasn't like right close by. It was like an hour's drive. And she says, uh, okay, and uh, we'll bring your brother. My brother's seven years younger. He had never seen it. And so he loved it too. He thought it was great. So, you know, and I was worried because I don't know if you've gone through this. Other people have gone through this. There's something when you're a little kid, you go, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you see it as an adult and you go, Ugh, why did I like that? <laughs> Fortunately, I've actually been pretty good. There's very, very few things. If I didn't like it as a kid, I probably don't like it now, or I probably like it better just out of nostalgia's sake. 
uh, than I did as a kid. But if I loved it, I usually still love it. So, yeah, I'm I'm that way too. Um, there are only a handful of things that I can look at and say, yeah, that isn't as magnificent as I recall it. But I still have a fondness for it, and just put myself in that you know six or seven year old and say, I remember how I felt when I saw it. Um, but I but I don't find it horrible. But there are some things that, yeah, same thing, that just absolutely, I loved it then, love it now. And there are some things just like, just like you said, that uh, I could have taken or leave and leave, left, but I've grown to really like. Yeah. Um, because I'll give you an example. It's like Sid and Marty Cross stuff. My sister loved that stuff. And I was like, get that train of the flute off the TV. It's so creepy. <laughs> you know? And I didn't like it, but I watched it because my sister is older, so she had control of the TV. And, you know, so I put up with all that Sid and Marty Croft stuff. The only one I kind of liked was Land of the Lost, which I found out later I liked because a lot of the people wrote for Star Trek, which, hey. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know that as a kid. I just said, hey, this one's not so stupid as all those other ones. <laughs> now I well, like all the Sid and Marty Croft because it's like I get what they were trying to do. But as a kid, it just it looked too flipping weird. I was just like, get this off my TV. <laughs> yeah. I, I of the, the Sid and Marty Croft stuff, and there's an example of, uh, I loved H.R. Puff and stuff from, uh, in fact, I didn't watch it when it, for the first several months, and a friend of mine said, you got to watch the show, and it's like, it seems so, what, I'm reading the TV Guide, Witchy Poo, it's like, what? And he says, no, it's it's a really cool show. And and when I saw it, it's, I just, I love this show, and I got the, 40, well, this will be another discussion, but I, but yeah. I always felt like year after year, the Croft shows got chintzier and cheaper and I didn't like them on tape as much. And I, you know, and, and they, they seem super cheesy as an adult, they're still super cheesy, but on the one hand, they're gloriously cheesy because they're, they, they were then they weren't trying, you know, they weren't making art there. They were making shows. And also having had many years experience in, entertainment and in production and in budgeting and all that stuff they had no time and no money and hr puff and stuff nearly destroyed them because they didn't know how to make a tv show and they overspent and film was expensive and ch tape was cheaper they had to do what they had to do and now when i look at those shows i'm astonished at how 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 entertaining they are and how they don't kind of go they're just they were just nutty there's nothing really like them yeah. to compare them to and except maybe a like laughing or 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 one of the variety shows of the 70s which they also did because they were kind of on tape they seem more like variety show sketches yeah. than 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 shows but they are shows i i love the era they were in because they're just so groovy you know, and the era of the Brady Bunch and all that, the, the Partridge family, it's it's all falls under that ball. But I kind of love them as an adult. And and at the time I was being very fussy because it's like, oh, well, you know, and oh, this is even dumber than that one. And I didn't dislike them. I still kind of watched them. And Fire Out Space Nuts was so <laughs> dumb that I we my brother and I liked it because it was so completely dumb. Well, you yeah, know. I, I watched them, uh, you know, Lost Saucer and uh, yeah. Dr. Shrinker and all that stuff. And I go, oh, you know, it was almost like to see how, 
I, I wasn't, I don't think I was consciously doing it, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was like, just to see how dumb these shows could get. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Uncle Croc's block. Now that's not, I know that's filmation and it's not, uh, but, but I mean, could Croft. <laughs> you know, but it's like all that stuff. And then you have Banana Splits. I was a huge fan of that. And that's Hanna Barbera. Although Croft did have some, Something to do with the design, didn't it? Didn't it they? Well, they, yeah. the the Hanna Barbera that that gets confused a lot on the internet. Yeah. I have the the uh, the merchandise guide, and and they have the characters at, at what they look like in costume, and their drawings are, and those are unequivocally Hanna Barbera designs by either like Jerry Eisenberg or Iwa Takamoto or one of those designers. They're they're cartoon designs, but what what the Crofts did was they were at the time the premier costumers for a lot of theme parks a lot, and tons of stage shows so that and because of the of the um the deal they made and this is another were <laughs> but because of six flags and the deal, and that's where they filmed the first season oh, yeah. it all worked out really well but the crofts built the costumes this, I, I I don't think they they did the sets either I think that those were drawn and probably um executed by an la uh, place but but the but as far as and that was still i'm sure that was all drawn out by by the hb people because it has that look to it yeah. um but but what happened with the crofts was banana splits did so well and the idea of having costume characters on a show uh appealed to nbc so they approached the crofts who do nothing you know the same thing with the brady bunch variety hour <laughs> it's it's, it's dreadful, yeah. and all, I think all nine of them are on YouTube now. But then there's a book about how it was made. Yeah, it's unbelievable how much work went into that. How little time! What a whim it was between Silverman and Eisner just waving their hand and saying, "Just go make it." Oh, and don't tell don't tell Sherwood Schwartz. And well, I, I think about that now when I'm watching old variety shows, like right now. I'm watching uh, the Tim Conway Comedy Hour, which originally yeah. aired in 1970. And I asked my dad, did I ever watch this? And he goes, I don't know, probably. But it, it shows that it originally aired at 10 p.m., so I probably didn't unless they re-ran them earlier, you know, because I was pretty young in 1970. But it looks very familiar to me because unless it just Art Matrano just kept doing the same thing everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just confusing it, but it really looks familiar, you know. So maybe they ran them in the early uh, evening on summer repeats or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah. anyway, uh, but, you know, I'm looking at that show and, you know, I watch other variety shows and, you know, I just marvel at, you know, how they got these things done, which, like what you're saying, the expense was probably incredible. Or maybe it wasn't so incredible back then, but it would be now if they were to, because you always wonder, why don't they do a variety show now? Well, you know, and most people say, oh, it's because we don't have the same type of stars. Well, we do. It's just that they would ask a million dollars to make an appearance. If, you know, our special guest, Brad Pitt, you know, it's like, you know. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. other reason is, is the, is, um, because I worked on the parades, again, another subject, the, the Disney TV parades, and they were constantly aware of energy level and viewership and they don't want it's one of the reasons the decibel level of some shows is so high like on ellen the audience is always screeching oh yeah screaming <laughs> um because i think they want people to keep that energy level up they want you to keep people looking at the screen to see if there's something worth seeing um 
they don't want the show to stop in any way. And so they 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 can't do they can't do Ed Sullivan. Uh, they've tried. And even then it wasn't successful. And it's hard to do a variety show now where every the audience has become so segmented. Thanks to cable, thanks mostly to the way marketing deliberately segments and targets audiences. Um, everybody's watching a different channel. Now everybody's watching a different streaming service, a different thing on YouTube. It, the same audience won't watch the same things. And the network is terrified of someone switching. So that's so they they can't have a, they couldn't have a singer come on and sing a two and a half minute song because. Yeah. You know, people just naturally do that. You know, one of the reasons the we are we getting way off subject here, but one of the reasons people <laughs> believe Orson Welles' um, War of the Worlds hoax is because the Mercury Theater Campbell Playhouse wasn't very popular uh, compared to the most popular show of the time. One of them, the Charlie McCarthy Edgar Bergen show, mm. and they would on those variety shows there would be the singer would come on so they could regroup or whatever. It was just the tradition. There'd be a, like Dennis saying Dennis or the, or the, 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 the sportsman's quartet, they had the singer come on and that's when people changed to CBS to hear. And so they didn't hear the disclaimer. They didn't hear the setup. They just heard the chart earth. <laughs> mm. So it's no different, you know, people, uh, my dad used to do that. Would drive me crazy. I want to watch something the beginning with the with the da da da, -da and the credits, and then yeah. I watch it at the end where the union stuff comes up. I I don't switch. My yeah. dad, you know, my yeah. sister put MTV on. Put MTV on. It's you're, like, you're you're probably like me. It's like you have to see it from the very beginning, no matter what it is, because I, my, my dad's always like. You know, it's like quiet, quiet, I, I, and it's like the Columbia logo or something. Yeah, and it, and it, as you've seen the Columbia logo, it's who cares, you know? And it's like I want to see this film from the beginning. This is the beginning, you know. <laughs> it's like you know, and my dad's like logos, blah. you know, he doesn't care. But well, you know, on on streaming services, you can skip a theme song, you know, skip. You know, oh, I I hate I don't that. Want to do that. <laughs> That's the part I want. If I. <laughs> I want shows that they used to not have a theme song. I want them to reinsert a theme song. Since, yeah. I re remember short shows on network to save more and more time. They, you know, cut theme songs and say, now we're going way off topic. But anyway, um, in, in um, connection to, oh, do you, do you have a thought? No, 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 go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, to make it a connection to Willy Wonka, and um, I was going to say this earlier, and it keeps popping in and out of my mind. But were you this way? And uh, I found the Willy Wonka movie better than the book in the same way as I found the Wizard of Oz 39 movie better than the book in that they made a purpose to the story. Because you're talking about Alice in Wonderland. We're going way off topic talking about variety shows, not having like, you know, any continuous link. And so this film and Wizard of Oz, it seemed like, like, her purpose in the book wasn't necessarily to get back home, although she did, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, it was more clear-cut and set out. And the same thing with the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. There wasn't really a purpose of him doing that. I mean, where they kind of gave him a purpose more in the movie. Like, if 
you know, if I win this chocolate factory, my life will be set. My future will be set. They didn't even really make that come across. It's almost like, yeah, let's go in this chocolate factory, see what happens. You know, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. That's how I kind of remember the book, you know, and it's been a while since I've read the book. So <laughs> the book doesn't, uh, doesn't, focus on charlie the same way and it's funny that a movie would do it more because you're right it's rare for the movie to actually draw you in more to a character um usually there's more detail but it is a book that's aimed at like school-age kids um and the the so the character of charlie is is much more intense uh the way he um the way they they find the tickets is different you know, um, they're, they're, it's still the last one being a hoax, but he he finds the money and it's the second, you know, the, all the details of that are different. The other thing about the movie that's different, and I don't know if this was Dahl or um, I think it's David Seltzer who punched up the script. Um, all of those terrific asides, those 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 gags, those those sketches that we're in and here including like the the woman who's talking to the police out of nowhere he wants your case of wonka bars you know didn't you hear me it's yeah. your husband's life or your case of wonka bars you know <laughs> it's those are not in the book and i will give you an example of how those some of us have just memorized these things where it's not really healthy i was on the um the attraction at Star Wars uh, Galaxy's Edge, yeah. uh, not Rise of the Resistance, but the other one, the one that's subtle like Star Tours, only you get to shoot the lasers. Okay. And, and I didn't really care. My son wanted to shoot, you know, he's he's a video game guy and he was, he was destroying the universe or whatever you have to do. I was the least important person. I was the engineer, which basically... You, you sit in the back and you push lighted buttons and pretend they do something. I love that because how many films have you or TV shows have you seen where people pretend like I'm initiating? Ruth Buzzy was doing it on, on Lost Saucer. Initiating yeah. Command Central, you know. Yeah. If Ruth Buzzy could do it, I could do it. So, so one of the things I said as we were leaving is I said, What's this from? And I'm pushing the two buttons. I'm now telling the computer exactly what it can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. <laughs> so that, that was one thing that they made. They made so much fun. And it's not dated at all. In fact, it's worse now. Yes. Uh, media frenzy. Where? What's the chicken or the egg? You know, who kicked up this frenzy? The news reporter, a brilliant line. We yeah. have to remind ourselves that there are way more important things than this. Frankly, I can't think of any of them, but <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it was it was it was really, really great. And that's where you get you get the entire audience. It really, really was. So by the time you got to the chocolate factory, you'd already seen all of this. You were primed for this. You were sort of trained for this kind of movie. So it was going to come, wasn't so much of a surprise. Um, and I thought they, you know, the gags of the hands taking the cloaks, the room, oh, and by the way, if you go on Rise of the Resistance, you tell me, soon as we walked into that little room, is he getting bigger? 
or or is the is the room getting smaller? You know, there is a part of right. I don't know where I'm why I'm making this, but we did think of Willy Wonka when we got into that little room on Rise of the Resistance because it's narrow and odd. I'm sure Disney is like, is there a way we can get this film in our collection? <laughs> <laughs> uh, creative people are inspired by anything. That's true. You know? And uh, being a huge Flying Nun fan and writing copy about Soren, you better believe I put the phrase, who needs wings to fly <laughs> in, in my copy. Um, <laughs> and I think you know that that's the name of the theme song. Right, right. Um, but you know, it, it it that part wasn't in the book either. They no. went in and the contract and they started. So there was there was so much detail, and that's why you love to watch certain movies over again. Yeah, you know, so much quotable lines. You're always being difficult. She's a girl who knows where she's going. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we use those lines every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, the ones I use, are, you know, you know, it's like. Um... Strike that, reverse it. I say that all the time because I do mix up things and I, <laughs> I say it just like, or I'm a trifle deaf in this ear. So try to speak louder next time, you know? And yeah. it, it just comes out and people don't even, not everyone knows where it's from. And it's like, you know, it's like, I know. Oh, but <laughs> an quotable movie, you know, and, and one thing I didn't understand until I read, I think it was Mel Stewart's book, was I think Pure Imagination, when he, and she goes, Yes, that's the one. And she goes, Rachmaninoff, like she's yeah. a no. And I'm like, she's wrong, you know, because <laughs> you see Amadeus, that's, an, that's yeah. a, and he said that that was in the script deliberately to show that she didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, now, I, I'll have to admit, when I first saw it, I didn't know the difference, but I started taking piano lessons and uh, learning music theory and history and classical music pretty early on so probably about age seven or eight i knew that there was mozart and i was like what <laughs> so when i yeah. saw the film again i said ah <laughs> you know, it's just to show that she's not very bright you know it's like but yeah, yeah it's like you have to kind of know this because i'm sure half the people out there say yeah it's rock enough you know the movie says yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. so, so it's the tales like that um the other thing that's cool about this movie is um, I keep drawing a Disney parallel, but the art director was one of the most legendary Disney Imagineers and, and artists of all time, Harper Goth. Yeah. I mean, he was one of the architects of Disneyland. Yeah. And that boat design is very similar to the Jungle Cruise and even more similar if you've been to Epcot and gone and gone to the Land Pavilion. The It's called Living with the Land. It was originally called Listen to the Land you get a tour of the hydroponic gardens and all of the futuristic ways. Thank you so much. There he is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the design. The boats are almost identical on living with the land and the way the, you float past these. Yeah. The chocolate room looks like the, the, um, the big greenhouse in mm -hmm. living Man. You you really do feel, and I noticed that when I went to it. There's there's a good shot of the chocolate. It's gorgeous. You know, it's it's just gorgeous. And what's cool about it is that it the movie was not an expensive movie, and they had to use a lot of found things. And so, but it works because it's this, and yet it makes a comment at the same time. You've got this 
this sort of magical, fantastic chocolate room with all these things, yet it's in a building in a, in a very, uh, you know, sort of factory. It's a factory. It's industrial looking in the background. Yeah. You know, it's like a, in, in a way, it's like a movie set um, because it's but it's showing you that it is a factory. I my theory about the movie more than even the book is because Gene Wilder says he's always telling lies yeah. all through. Always the, my theory about the way it was done is that everything that they experienced was designed, created, and built for them to experience because he had researched all these kids. He kind of knew it was going to yeah. be charged, but he wasn't sure. And oh, Yeah, the, the, that, uh, what do you want to call it, the fizzy lifting drink, not that one, uh, excuse me, the, the, the car at the end that just, yeah. you know, you know, there's only enough seats for the existing kids and their parents and whatever, you know, it's like, how did they figure that one out? You know, didn't they think Augustus would make it to this car? Hmm, exactly. You know? yeah. He puts the, he tempts them with exactly what their weakness is. Yeah. Oh, now, the same with the boat. The boat has enough seats just for everybody, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm, and and the the chocolate room is something you know it's the factory but these people are coming and somebody like him it's like would have that it's like it's like a big press event you know where they hang a lot of things and they theme a, a, a convention center to something and, and there are there are like if it's going to be the tropics or it's not that much different than what a a big enterprise would do if they had. Uh, you know, if they had a big convention in, in, in a major city. So that's the way it feels. And you're right. I forgot about that. You know, the whole, how come there's so many seats is it's yeah. And, and I mean, you could be all, well, it's a movie and it's economical. They don't need to have extra seats. But yeah, I know, but it's, it's more fun to say there was a purpose to it. You know? <laughs> but the book had that. I think the movie yeah. did. And, yeah. Um, Charlie doesn't get tempted in the book. There are no fizzy lifting drinks. That's Charlie's right. right. all perfect. And he doesn't really have any, you know, in fact, when I first saw it, I was shocked because I'm listening to the album. And it's like, what's going on with the burping and the bubbles and all this stuff. <laughs> and, and it's like, come on, let's have some Charlie. I'm wait, wait a minute. They're, they're breaking a rule. And Charlie's perfect. Did you say you listened to the album first before you even saw the film? Yeah. Wow. Now I've done yeah. that before. I could tell you one that I did is uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life, and <laughs> I didn't know what the f what was going on in some scenes, you know. <laughs> and I, I sometimes I was like, I don't want to know, and then I eventually saw it. But it's like for some reason when that film came out, I just didn't rush to the theater. I was a huge Python fan, and so it took me a few years to see that one. So I just had the album and I'd play it and I try to figure out what are they doing in this scene because. Like on yep. the Willy Wonka album, they didn't have a narrator. Well, now they're going into this room, and now they're doing this. You no. just have to guess. <laughs> the second half is almost all sound effects. Yeah, <laughs> second album and uh, and the the boat ride, the wondrous boat ride. It's called. It's far from wondrous. And then when you see it, the 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 things that are in it are just. But again, you know. It's a rear screen projection, or it's actually, in that case, it's a matte process. Yeah. But what would have stopped, if it was real, what would have stopped Willy Wonka from 
it, a theme park can do that. They have big screens yeah. and they can project horrifying things. And I mean, they could, that all could happen. And then he puts the gum in front of the girl who chews gum. Gee, you know, all yeah. of the, all of those things seem to fit um, the, the, the wanting everything. Um, so, and then that whole scene at the end, the, which, gosh, the most, one of the, probably the most quoted thing, uh, it's you get nothing. Uh, right. John Stewart, good day, sir. Yeah. You know, John Stewart said it all the time. That's probably yeah. still. Yeah. Um, that scene isn't in the book. Right. And you that unexplainable, everything's half cut in half in his office. Yeah. Um, we used to say my grandmother designed that office because she would never give you a whole candy bar or a, yeah. a, a chewing gum. gum. She, yeah. <laughs> my brother, she'd break it in half and give my brother like a juicy fruit. And it's like juicy fruit doesn't have flavor along anyway. It's like, yeah. what good is a juicy fruit, <laughs> you know? But that scene is intense and it's the climax because the movie doesn't have what most movies had and no movie is missing today, which is a slam bang finale ending with a lot of action and explosions and chases and thrills. It ends after the TV room, go to his office, big argument. You know, the biggest action is the elevator. Right. But it, it you and, know. And the credits it, roll up <laughs> during that. <laughs> well, it follows its own rules. I mean, yeah. it follows its own rules. And, and that's the same thing with Alice in Wonderland. That Disney's does draw build to a climax, but it's like, oh, she woke up. Yeah. You know. Did she tell anyone? You don't know. But that's what's so cool about it is everything is so literal now that this is what I love about Hanna-Barbera cartoons. You have 60 seconds to know the premise of this show, and then you are on your own. You can't, we're not going to tell you how or why or what the Pussycats were doing at NASA. <laughs> <laughs> There's a non sequitur for you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um so <laughs> i'm gonna just shift gears like you just did okay so um you grew up in florida um did you have burger chef restaurants down there we did not oh. and i was very grateful to burger chef because on sundays they would have that theater show where they would show like jack and the beanstalk with gene kelly and stuff okay. and burger chef and jeff it's incredible burgable yeah. paul winch voice we did not have that we had uh, royal castle which is like White Castle, and we had Burger Castle. Okay. Well, there's a reason I was saying this. Now, I got this book uh, recently, but it's over on the shelf, and I don't want to run over there and get it. But you know those uh, Arcadia Press books? They're kind of brownish. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I got a few because, you know, here in Oregon, you can only get the Oregon ones. And it's like I was looking on their site, and I was looking on Amazon, and it's like, oh, crap, they have one about uh, Hershey Park, you know, and one about Freedom Land and one about, you know, this, that, the other, Knott's Berry Farm and stuff like that. So I ordered a bunch of them directly through the publisher, and Burger Chef was one of them. Now, Burger Chef did not originate in California, but they managed to make their way out there at some point before they started contracting, and I think they're completely gone now, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, in the early 70s, there was connections on Willy Wonka that you could go there, you could get a golden ticket, which I still have. Um, you could get passes to see the movie. I don't know if they're free or discount. I don't remember that. And I can't 
my dad won't remember my mom is no longer living so i i, I can't ask anybody <laughs> no but my sister probably wouldn't remember either but you know i would probably remember something like that if i knew but uh i assume we paid admission but anyway uh there was a big connection with burger chef so that's what i was asking if hmm. and i know they did make it down to florida but maybe not miami florida they didn't maybe go that far south so no, I would have been I would have been gone to one at least once just out of gratitude for the stuff they showed on the Sundays. Yeah, and that right. was late 70s, uh, early 80s, just like the SFM Holiday Network. They would show oh, kind yeah. of cool things. Yeah. That was the same kind of thing. Um, and, and, and no, but I never, never had the pleasure of going okay. to Burger. We had all there was also Borden Burger for a while and then it changed to board and B bbf and it was very good they were really good burgers but they didn't last very long but none of them none of the ones you're mentioning they they didn't have any willy wonka tie-in or anything no okay. no it, it it would it seemed it, well that was the thing is it kind of came and went so there wasn't much chance to see it until it was in matinees okay. same thing with the puffin stuff movie i couldn't see that now there was an album i listened to and i love that album um <laughs> constantly and that didn't see the movie until many years later when it was on local tv because they didn't show that in matinees and they didn't they did only played a couple of weeks and it played at a theater that was far didn't play at a neighborhood theater so i couldn't go so sometimes that would happen too um i don't know exactly why but a boy named charlie brown when that was released i had to go to coral gables which was quite a distance from south miami to see it but that was the Peanuts movie, and I was very much into Peanuts. So right. that was a special thing that my dad drove me to that, because I had to see that. You um, mentioned something earlier, and that's a movie that we saw. It's like my parents, they didn't necessarily go by Disney 100%. Uh, so if it was G-rated, that's usually what they went by when I, yeah. when I was a kid. So we did see, that's why we saw Willy Wonka. That's why we saw Boy Named Charlie Brown, Snoopy Come Home. I'm trying to think of other non-Disney stuff. Charlotte's Web. Um, I saw Charlotte's Web when it was new. Yes. Yeah. Well, all these I saw when they were new. Um, the the first movie I ever saw in the theater, but this was a Disney movie. It's the Love Book. So <laughs> any, any kids movie after that, I pretty much saw. But it, it's kind of funny. As the 70s wore on, my parents were very picky. And I didn't object because I was still seeing a movie. But I never saw Robin Hood when it first came out. Hmm. Because... I think they reissued, I don't know what they reissued, Snow White that year or something like that. And it's like, you know, my dad is definitely going to say Snow White's better than Robin Hood. Maybe most fans would too, but, you know, so. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, they wrote scope scenes from one to the other. Anyway, that's a whole that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's all another story. But anyway, um, so I didn't see uh, Rescuers or any of those new Disney animated features in the 70s when they were brand new. Except for the Aristocats I saw, and I saw Bedknobs and Broomsticks. But I think as time wore on, my parents realized that 70s animation wasn't as good as 40s and <laughs> 40s animations. So, you know, we used, to call the, we used to call it the scritchy lines. We didn't yeah. know what the Xerox process was. Oh, the so Xerox, yeah, yeah. Did that have scritchy lines, or does it have the regular, you know, straight lines? And all the stuff in the 70s uh, and six, the late, every, everything in the 60s and 70s had the scritchy lines. Right. And found ways to smooth it out, or they would hand ink some stuff. But the scritchy lines were a, now it's kind of the nostalgic look to me yeah. to see 
to see them. And I think that they kind of DNR that down a little bit now yeah, because it, it doesn't look like, and there are a lot of people upset about, I remember um, a guy um, sent me, cause I've reviewed the sword and the stone Blu-ray and he sent me an HD that he had. And, and I don't know how he got it, but uh, he said, look at this and then look at, or maybe it was just stills. And now look at the, the, the redone. Well, you know, those films also had dust on the cells um, and they can, they can paint that out if they want to spend the money to do it. They, they take all that out because a film that's got a family audience has to stand on the target and Walmart shelves next to the SpongeBob's and, you know, all of those things that are brand new. And so they can't look that much different be, uh, because the, the, you know, young families, and, and the, they might return it or something. They might say there's something wrong with my my VCR or my Blu-ray. I you know I'm seeing all these these strange white specks all over the picture. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no telling, but they more than anything, everything has to seem that's released to the mainstream audience has to seem like it was made this year. That's that's why well, they're very well. Also, they smoothed it out. Like one thing I noticed, Little Mermaid and back because little mermaid was the last hand painted one um was well you can't obviously manually paint something so smooth that you can't tell that it's painted and so you yeah. kind of see this little swirling effect if a character is standing still and they have like a solid gray or solid single color form you know you'll see like the the subtly shift i noticed that on earlier vhs and the very first dvds but then with computer animation they fixed all that up and now nothing moves on anything you know and it's like it's very sharp and pristine but i guess yeah. that's the reason why what you're saying that is the reason for today's audience i wasn't even thinking about that i thought they just said we need to make this look sharp which no um, I think that's the reason um i remember being I, I i think one of the one of the things that makes we were talking about going back to things you loved as a kid or didn't or whatever. Yeah. Going back to the Hanna-Barbera stuff, even the stuff that wasn't that wasn't as highly touted, you know, the stuff that isn't the Flintstones, Jetsons, Yogi Bear. Yeah. Uh, it is so it's almost like folk art now. It's yeah. so it's so hand. It's so made by hand. It's so human yeah. to watch to watch like. And see, I watched Charlotte's Web. I think that the 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 DVD. I wish they'd do a Blu-ray. Um, the DVD quality is not great, mm -hmm. but I think um, I think it's on either Amazon or Hulu. And I watched it because obviously there's been some work on it. So I wish they'd reissue this print. Um, but they didn't have. They didn't spend the money, which Disney didn't always either. It depends on whether it's a Snow White or it's a it's a Robin Hood. Um, they're going to put so much into and DNR is like push the button and da, 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 and going through and hand painting is what you do for Pinocchio. But um, Charlotte's Web has that has that has the dust, but it also has if you look at Wilbur, the, the color ranges change, you know, in relation because they had the heads on a different cell and all. And you can see the ink swirling around and it's kind of beautiful. You know, <laughs> it's the it's the craft of the ink and paint artists. It's the craft of you are looking at a actual piece of art in motion. So we see stuff now that is so flawless that 
it's like um you know then it's 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 like the difference between homemade brownies from scratch or homemade bread and bread that you get you know that came off a truck that's been sitting and all that you know that's made by the billions um or cookies it's it, that's the way it feels now i love i love those cartoons then i even love the lesser stuff that people go ugh on online roman holidays please i love that <laughs> Pamela and Ferdin and and Dave Willick and, and <laughs> yeah, well, I, I have all that stuff and because I had you know I loved Hanna Barbera when I was a kid, but I didn't understand why it didn't look as good as the '60s stuff. You know, yeah, no, it, it, you know now I do, but you know, <laughs> and it, and it bugged me even when they did newer Flintstones. I said, why doesn't this look like the '60s Flintstones? You know, and I didn't know all the details then. I don't. I know now, and it's like. But I still have my own nostalgia for them. And in a certain way, you know, the animation may not be pristine. Uh, the inking and painting may not even be pristine, the character models. But the writing, a lot of times, was still pretty sharp on a lot of those shows. And, you know, you know, people just dismiss and they go, ah, it's that crap from the early 70s. Um, one thing that I had total revisionist, it was just like me with um, Sid and Marty Croft. I didn't like filmation stuff very much. I'd be like, uh, another filmation show. And now I totally admire it, you know, and it's probably what you said, hand done, hand painted, made in the USA, all done, you know, by real live people, not machines. You know, it's like, you know. And it was filmation too. That's again, where it's another subject, but filmation, I did like a lot of filmation in its day. And I admire filmation because they created this ingenious process yeah. for basically beating the bids that Hanna Barbera put in, yeah. you know, so they could get the get the work. And and they employed a lot of people too, um, so they were able to like beat the cost by like ten thousand dollars or something. When you know that stuff, it only makes it seem better to me that yeah. they were getting the kind of entertainment value with such minimal movement or flipping the cells or you know. Re- reuse uh because those were written those were written to the pictures the 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 writers had to go through the stock it was a stock animation uh process and write around the stock you know yeah. and and it's it's really it's it's almost a different kind of animation and into itself and when you look at it from that standpoint 120 he-man episodes you know and they didn't have the, and those were the first of their kind. You know, when you look at that, it it totally changes your outlook on it. Um, I'm a huge Hanna Barbera fan. I'm, I'm I've got a book coming out in a few months about them, and I've studied more about them than than uh, than I ever have in my life. And you know, there's no denying the weaknesses. That's that's easy. That's that's shooting fish in a barrel. Um, but there's also no no studio that didn't have to cut corners uh, as well, including Disney in the 60s and 70s. We're talking about scritchy lines, you know, reusing animation. Um, it was a reality. And every single boutique studio that started out with with, you know, better cartoons and breaking the mold and artistic brilliance, soon as they had no time and no money, most of their stuff wasn't as entertaining as Anna Barbera's was or Filmation's. You know, if you look at like the Patty Frilling and I love, I love the oddball couple, yeah. but they couldn't really, they couldn't really compete as much when they had, when they had to suddenly make 
a bunch of shows fast and suddenly, and you know this better because I learned this from you on the commentaries and from your book. It was harder for them to compete against the, a place like Hanna-Barbera who had been doing it for a long time without making having the luxury of one Pink Panther a month. You know, <laughs> you know, right. there's a big difference between making one a month or one wonderful ant in the aardvark or one really funny inspector and then having to make the crazy legs cranes you know, <laughs> it's it, it's so it, you have to at least be forgiving mm -hmm. of 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 those limitations and 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 see what you can enjoy about them. And if you don't, that's okay too. But I just don't like the dismissiveness and and the one sentence uh, the one sentence uh, you know throwaway of oh they did this or oh they never did it. You know, it's like you know they're, they're, it's just not it's not really fair. Uh, to because they were so incredibly successful and a lot of people still love what these people did and there was people doing it and I think a lot of young audiences would too um, because they're not like a lot of stuff that's out there now they're right. you know and most of what they most of what Hanna-Barbera and Filmation did um, was not problematic some of it was in today's world so you make a decision about how you want to present that. But it, but it's astonishing how little of it was, yeah. you know. And then when it was, it's like, okay, what was on, what, what other kind of uh, humor appeared on primetime television or Saturday morning TV at the very same time, you know? So it's not an excuse, but it's a reality, you know. Um, but Willy Wonka, let's tie Hanna-Barbera and I'll yeah. ask you and Tom and Jerry uh, in Willy oh, yeah. Wonka. I was going to say, that's a way to tie it in. I was going to use Tom and Jerry and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, very polarizing film for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. But I actually liked it. It wasn't my favorite. My favorite Tom of the more recent Tom. First of all, let me say this. I'm not a huge Tom and Jerry fan. I, it's it's kind of like one note for me. You know, more than even... 70s Hanna-Barbera believe it or not you know um in fact I like the 70s Tom and Jerry better in some respects the TV one where they have bow ties and stuff which oh yeah yeah some people go so that's sacrilege anyway <laughs> what my, my point was oh I was gonna say so the only more recent Tom and Jerry movie that I've seen that I liked uh was uh Tom and Jerry Johnny Quest that crossover I thought that was brilliant. Right. So. And the, and the and the their animation was comparable yeah. to at least 50s theatrical stuff. Yeah. They really they really try to you know they they were dealing with a different form. It's a, it's a like 75 minute feature and so they have to make it a little episodic so they can put in gags and all but they have to sustain a story. Right. It's hard to take set, you know a six seven minute cartoon characters and make them <laughs> work for yeah. that long. So all the direct videos have, and I'm sorry, but a lot of major features do. They all have uh, occasional story issues where what are you going to do with all this time, you know? And so that's that's the big challenge. The but some of those Tom and Jerry um, direct videos, some of the Scooby Doo's are very are very good. Yeah. Um, some of them are, not, you know, okay. Um, so so on the Tom and Jerry Willy Wonka, I'll say that my two cents, and then you can say yours. As a, um, 
I like it that it was pretty faithful to the movie. It wasn't necessarily faithful to the book anymore. Uh, so, you know, it had some of the same songs, had same dialogue, just it was suddenly animated. So in a certain respect, I enjoyed it on that level. It was it was not unenjoyable. It was kind of like uh, you take the, the little uh, Willy Wonka figure you saw on the Quaker box or on the chocolate. <laughs> on the candy uh golden ticket or whatever and suddenly he's moving now they didn't use that exact jay wardish character design but you know it's like it was i, it I, was I got the... what they were doing and i uh, so i appreciated it on that level even though most people go hold your nose uh, you know. <laughs> i wonder if how many of those just from the title did that you know because yeah. it's, it seems like wow but I, I thought their Oz ones were very good, especially Back to, Back to Oz um, was actually outstanding because I've read the Oz books and it actually, whoever, you know, I can't remember the writers, but it was, it had lots of references and, a, you know, loyalty to what was going on in the Oz books that, because the Oz books were funny as well, exciting and, and, and adventurous. And that's one of the things that was missing from some of the adaptations uh, of late. So the, that this had that. And not only that, but Back to Oz had songs by the, the uh, songwriters of uh, La La Land and um, yeah. um, the what's the story? What's the musical um, about the, the, the boy in school and he writes a letter? Oh, I can't becoming. Oh, being Ethan Allen or oh, Evan Hansen. Sorry, I don't, I, I don't Ethan Allen. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen, they wrote that, and they recently did some uh, Disney stuff. So uh, there's no, you know, they were outstanding, and you know, nobody mentions Tom and Jerry back to Oz in the same breath, but it's the same songwriters. So yeah, it's yeah. not they they get. And here's the other thing people need to know before we go back to the Wonka thing about those direct to videos. They they don't have nearly the budget of a feature. And they do have to um, export some of the work. The features do it too. Look at the credits, and they don't they don't outsource all the animation. I know this because I talked to Spike Brandt about it, and he said the key stuff, the really important animation that we want to get so that we can you know oversee it and supervise it. They have people like Dale Bear working on it. Read those credits. Dale Bear animated the Slugworth sequence. There was an original song with Slugworth. Mm -hmm. The animation in that is astonishing. You know, that's because it was done by a master animator. It isn't all. They, it's more of the perfunctory stuff that needs to be set. So there are. That's why you have this feeling of uneven. It's sort of like the Hanna Barbera features. There is some incredibly animated stuff, and then there's some not quite so much because they don't have the money or the time. But they want to get the best scenes, the best they can get them. And that's one of the things that isn't realized, that they're not completely not hiring people. They're hiring wherever they can. Um, so the Willy Wonka one, first of all, my son watched it uh, with me. And he couldn't believe that the boat ride was scarier because Tuffy <laughs> went like this insane. He did the same rhyme. But it was frightening because of Tuffy. He said, I can't, he said, I can't imagine that they could, because it didn't have all the scenes, you know, with the chicken and the, you know, right. but it was, it was equally creepy because of the voice performance. So you also oh. have that, you know, you've got, that again. 
Yeah. It, which he said was, he said, I can't believe that Tuffy made that scarier to me. Um, <laughs> and Tom and Jerry are like Laurel, uh, like Abbott and Costello. They take a Frankenstein or a mummy or, or the uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and they find a way to insert them in for comedy relief to sort of watch the serious story or the semi-serious story going on and somehow be involved with it. And yet there's two different elements going on uh, or a thirties musical where you have the, the romance and you have the big show. And then you have the character actors doing funny stuff, you know, Hugh Herbert or something, you know, it, it, it's like that. It, they, they're given an assignment. Okay. We're Warner brothers. We own these things, put them together, go. And they, <laughs> Make it work because they're pretty talented at it. I mean, I I just I would never have thought they could. And I'm not gonna say, oh wow, but I'm gonna say uh they did do it, you know. Yeah. And it's uh it, it 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 again, it's entertaining, it's it's similar, but it's different enough, but it's basically synergy. It's taking two major and isn't it something, if anything, you could say, look at how huge Willy Wonka is as a as a brand for Warner, how lucky they are to have Warner. So I mean to have Willy Wonka by default. Yeah. Um, you know, because if this were 1972, I wouldn't have thought that there'd be a big box set with the Blu-ray in it. Right. Which <laughs> I have, you know. <laughs> How come Paramount can't hold on to their assets? It's, well, <laughs> I, I know the story on this one, yeah. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't you read, there was something I read somewhere that it said a studio sours on a project and they said Paramount and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So I think maybe even during the making of it or shortly yeah. after, you know how sometimes you say, why didn't they promote this terrific movie enough? It's like whomever is in charge. Yeah. Isn't well, a I, I, well, I'm kind of talking, kind of making a jab at uh, Paramount in general because, like, you know, early uh, Paramount films are now distributed by Universal. Uh, yeah, uh, many Paramount cartoons are owned by Harvey, you know, or I guess that's now NBC Universal again. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, Paramount doesn't have anything. You know, I mean, they do, <laughs> but it's just funny how things have it's true switched around, and they seem to have lost a lot of the stuff that was kind of in a certain way, kind of uniquely theirs. And then they don't own it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were sort of doing what's going on now with acquisitions before it became, you know, sort of the, the, the normal process for various companies to suddenly acquire stuff. And yep. suddenly this is, this is, no, this is this product. And, and you know, it happened to Hanna-Barbera um, a couple of times because not now they're sort of Warner owned, but they they are a brand, which I'm happy to see that the logo's back, the LHB, yeah. at least in England. But there was a time when Cartoon Network came along where their name was removed because it was, you, you'd see a coloring book or, or something and it would be, you know, Yogi Bear Cartoon Network. And I was glad they were still on, but I wasn't too thrilled about, you know, you're not just talking about Bill and Joe, you're, you're representing thousands of people who, yeah. who work. But, you know, that, maybe that's me. I don't know. But um, where else did we want to go with with Wonka? Did you ever get get to go to a an event where the uh, kids were? What do you, you mean? know, the, the grown up actors, the Denise Nickerson and. Um... The only one I've ever met uh, was at one show I saw Paris Themen. 
And yep. uh, so I got his autograph, but I've never seen a grouping of all of them together other than the extra features that are on the DVDs. And I met Gene Wilder, which is a funny story. <laughs> oh, what's that? Um, it, it was uh, around the time his autobiography came out. And he was in San Francisco at the Balboa Theater, which is this kind of, it's not seedy, I guess. It's just older, you know, and they play, you know, older films. They don't tend to play the first run stuff. And so they're having him there to sign his autobiography. And then they're going to show Young Frankenstein, which I believe my friend and I went to see. But, you know, it's like it, beforehand I had his book with me or maybe I... I can't remember. Right. I think I had it with me. So, and uh, I had him sign it, and it's like nobody else was paying attention to him. It was kind of sad, but it's like really? the the good part about it is I get to talk to him for about twenty minutes or so before the film started, and I, you know, I asked him about Blazing Saddles and Willy Wonka and just different films that he did. Very soft spoken. I mean, I I think over the years he mellowed significant, whether it was by medication or just getting older. <laughs> You know, I don't know, but you know, he certainly wasn't the manic guy that was like in the producers. Ah! <laughs> you, know, you know, and even in you know certain scenes in Willy Wonka, it always seems like uh, early Gene Wilder films always had to have that one scene where he just flips out. You know, and uh, he wasn't doing that, and you know, he was just very calm. He signed his book, signed the book, and then I went in, and it was just kind of odd that he was in this kind of weird spot, a movie theater with nobody really talking to him or being interested in him. It's like, okay. Oh, that's I'm, I'm stunned. That's yeah. really, Hmm. Oh, that that's, I've heard, I've heard, well, I've seen instance of that. He was extremely shy. And, you know, I mentioned him being on the Merv Griffin show when Merv interviewed him, it had to be just him alone. I think it was in on his estate uh you know it wasn't with an audience so i think like a lot of these 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 folks that are go crazy on and when they're performing they're extremely quiet and introverted yeah. when you meet now you probably researched this more than me uh i haven't seen too many interviews from the time for willy wonka that gene oh. wilder did did he not discuss it at all i uh, I don't know if it was a it was by design or or what uh, he may have just been one of those actors because there are some actors who simply didn't like to do talk shows because he didn't. Uh, there are actors now. There's some that just I don't know what I would say and I don't really like to to do that now. This it's funny because they in this era of everything being so real uh, and and so sincere talk shows are just as scripted as the Lux radio theater interview at the end. Um, it might've been easier for him now because the, yeah. the interviews are so short and they're so controlled, but I don't remember seeing him interviewed much at all period. Yeah. And Willy Wonka was such a, in a lot of ways, a small movie that in an era where, suddenly those movies weren't big news anymore. Bedknobs and Broomsticks was not big news either. Yeah. Um, and there, it, we knew it was coming out. There were commercials. More than anything else, there was stuff in the stores. It was the album. There was the books. You know, you know, and, 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 oh, and I love those Whitman books. You yeah. know, those great. So 
you, you kind of knew, but Angela Lansbury, I don't think talked about it at the time. I don't remember her. I remember her marrying it and passing, but it wasn't a particularly happy time for her. Not because of the movie so much, though. I don't <laughs> think she's a big fan of Robert Stevenson um, yeah. because she was an actor's actor and he was a, he was not an actor's director mm -hmm. uh, according to her, but I mean, you know, she was, she had a certain way about, about acting that I don't think she was getting from her. He, he was more interested in the mechanics and the authenticity and all those things. And she just didn't feel like, but it wasn't, that didn't sour her on the movie. It's that she had personal issues with her daughter and they had moved to Ireland and their house had burned down. And so I think that's one of the reasons she didn't do much. She said a whole lot more about it years later yeah. than she did at the time, but it yeah. opened quietly compared to the Disney movies in the 60s and and Willy Wonka I just don't think they were putting marketing dollars behind yeah. these these anymore you like know. I don't the only thing I remember is uh Gene Wilder being interviewed was more like around 1974 when he did the little prince um, yeah, there were you know, there's interviews then and he probably, in passing, talked about Blazing Saddles and stuff like that and Silver Streak and whatever he was doing in the mid-70s, you know. But, uh, you know, I think that was kind of like when he started opening up to doing more interviews. And certainly by the 80s when Entertainment Tonight comes, oh, yeah, I'm doing the the woman in red and blah, 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 you know. It's like, and he still wasn't very talkative, but, you know, they'd grab him because he was doing a new movie and they needed, they needed material, you know, for these shows so you know but I think the little prince probably was viewed as a more prestigious project than willy wonka was roald dahl was not didn't have the fame he gained later yeah. um and and really this was except for uh from russia with love i guess uh or, or you only live twice he had he had written he'd worked on that screenplay and on chitty um but he wasn't a household name that he became right. and you know, in fact, when when on those Maxim commercials, she kept saying, my husband, my husband. And it was like, <laughs> oh, who your husband is? Why won't you say? Thank you for listening. And thank you, Greg Airbar, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 224 with part two of this interview will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Thank you.